Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. The show is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Tanhang Pham. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge Elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the lands you are hearing us from. Today on Women on the Line, we look at mental health issues that LGBTIQ young people and rural and regional young people are facing today. We chat with Mel Gaylord, secondary school teacher who is committed to creating safer schools for LGBTIQ young people. Later in the show, we hear from Pauline Neal, founder of Live for Life, a health promotion organisation addressing youth suicide in rural and regional Victoria. First, let's hear from Mel Gaylord. The interviews you will hear on today's show contains content of transphobia and youth suicide. If you are distressed, please contact Q Life on 1800 184 527 or Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. My name is Mel Gaylard. Um, I've taught in Melbourne State Schools for 10 years and during that time have facilitated standout groups for LGBTIQ plus young people and their allies. Um, I was part of the development of the Fair Go Sport program in partnership with the Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. Um, And with that, we were promoting safe and inclusive environments for queer young people in schools, particularly in the area of sport. From 2015, I worked as a project officer for Safe Schools Coalition Victoria until the program was moved within the Victorian government early in 2017. From there, I moved on to work in Student Voice as a project coordinator for VicSRC, and I'm now teaching again, happily, um, back in the classroom and also facilitating a Queer Straight Alliance group um, at the school where I am. Thank you for coming on Women on the Line. So I just want to get straight into it. So early in September this year, the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, um, tweeted, we do not need gender whisperers in our schools, let kids be kids. And then just a few months later, we also had the Ruddock Review, which basically, um, in a nutshell, uh, allows religious schools to discriminate against teachers and young people who identify as LGBTIQ+. Given the light of all these changes in the last couple of months, what's the impact of these kind of political comments on young LGBTIQ people, particularly trans and gender diverse young people? I think, of course, young you know, queer young people are negatively impacted. There's no doubt by these comments. And I think comments like this already will fuel already existing hostility towards trans and de- uh, gender diverse young people in schools. I facilitate a Queer Straight Alliance group at the school um, I'm teaching at at the moment. And I would say that most of our meetings involve um, discussion of bullying incidents, unfortunately. And this is actually in a school that is very proactive and supportive of its queer young people. So I think that comments like uh, the Prime Minister's make queer young people unsafe, very unsafe. I think those kind of comments 
uh, enable prejudice and discrimination that um, is in the society at the moment. I think the rise of the conservative right around the world um, and in this country has really created a culture where views like, you know, discriminatory views are endorsed, enabled, almost encouraged. You're a teacher at a secondary school at the moment. How important is it for teachers to be, I guess, working with students on issues like this? Incredibly important. In all classrooms, talking about, you know, the difference between sex and gender and talking about supports for uh, queer young people in classrooms is really, really important. Um, And not just health classrooms, although I think that's a really important space for this work to happen, but in all classrooms, I think there are ways for teachers to show their support for queer young people and to help queer young people feel as though they are, um, you know, an accepted part of that community. I recently was talking to a colleague of mine who's a science, no, yeah, science math teacher, and he uh, was showing me a game, an online game, and I think one of the questions was something like, it was um, to do with probability, and it was at a, a tennis club, there are 35 female members, 45 male members, how many members, you know, that kind of question. Mm. And um, he actually, you know, turned to me and said, oh, what am I going to do about this? <laughs> you know, this is no good. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it made me feel really great. It was like, oh, great, you know, people are thinking about this stuff. And, of course, there's a very easy way to be inclusive there, which is add in some non-binary people. <laughs> yeah. Very, very simply talk in all classrooms, not just health classrooms, about gender diversity and about queer identities. I went to a a Catholic school at one point and just my memories of talking about gender or sexuality was only restricted to um, health education and it was never in any other as if you couldn't talk about it in any other classroom. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, and it's never enough. Yeah, it's never enough. <laughs> and it's generally not done particularly well. Yeah, exactly. Also. Yeah. So it's really important for all teachers to take up this mantle and to be doing their best to help, you know, queer young people feel supported. So um, what about teachers supporting other teachers in, I guess, like educating each other? Like how does that happen in, I guess, um, state schools? Teachers support teachers all the time in lots of in lots of different ways. So recently in my staff room, I have been supporting the health teachers in my staff room with resources, pointing them to um, certain excellent resources like um, the All of Us resource, which mm-hmm. unfortunately you can no longer access through safe schools within the department. But that's still out there and the All of Us videos are still on YouTube because they're Minus 18 um, videos, Mm. excellently produced by the wonderful people of Minus 18. And I think there's just informal conversations that can happen. You know, you hear your colleagues talking about what they're about to teach in their classrooms and you can make suggestions. I think whole staff training is really important. I think teachers do need to know about these issues. So, for example... Um, my colleague who was the maths teacher, if he didn't have an awareness of um, identities other than uh, gender identities other than binary ones, he would never have <laughs> for a second thought that there was, you know, any issue yep. with that lesson. Whole staff PD for teachers, professional development or learning for teachers around these issues is super, super important. Safe schools have recently 
I think it was maybe a month or so ago, reached their target of running training in all state schools mm. in Victoria. Of course, it's up to schools to do something with that. Yep. So I think it's very, very important to have leadership of inclusion for um, LGBTIQ plus education. You run a queer straight alliance group at the school you're currently at. Can you tell us a bit about what that alliance looks like and why that's important? There are about 25 young people, um, more or less at various times of the year in that group. Those young people are queer young people, lesbian, gay, bisexual, asexual, trans, gender diverse, lots and lots of different um, identities in that group. And of course, also allies, a number of young people who are from rainbow families are part of that group. It's a beautiful group. Um, of course, I don't believe that it's just the students in that group who are the queer students in the school. And I think it's really important for teachers to remember that queer students are 1000% in their classrooms, whether or not they are part of um, the face of that at their school um, in the standout group. You know, there are many and valid reasons for many young people to not be part of queer straight alliances or standout groups in their schools. Um, so I think those groups are incredibly important because apart from providing a space where those young people can come weekly and, and, and talk about what's been happening for them in school and in their classrooms and in the yard, we also do things like celebrate days like Ida Hobbit, so International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. And we're at Purple Day, which we celebrated just recently. And so they're very sort of public days where the whole school gets on board. Not all young people can be part of that and part of the group, queer young people, that is, but they see that happening. And I think that's mm. really important. So even if they're not part of that group, mm. they know that there is a community that supports them and that their school community also supports them. So they're, I think they're incredibly important. And can you briefly tell us um, what a standout group is? So a standout group is just, a, well, really it's whatever the young people in that school want it to be. But generally it's a group of queer young people and allies who come together to talk about their experiences of, uh, of being a queer young person or ally in that school and who come together to organise to take action to develop the school into a more inclusive place. It's been almost a year since the um, marriage postal vote survey here in Australia and it's quite interesting to see how politically things have shifted since then for LGBTIQ community in general. Um, but then I guess in this kind of topic we're talking about LGBTIQ young people. Do you have any particular thoughts on like why these particular things are happening now and what it says about a year on from the postal vote? Hmm. It doesn't say anything particularly good, does it? No. Um, and I was thinking about this just the other day in a standout meeting because some of the young people in there were talking about what it was like for them during the marriage equality um, postal vote and I wasn't in schools at that point and it's very interesting for me to be back in schools now and to be hearing about the kinds of things that young people are experiencing and it's really disturbing. Mm. Um, there was a lot of bullying and a lot of um, debate in classrooms that may not have always been handled 
particularly well or sensitively, which again speaks to the idea of educating mm. teachers around these issues so that they can confidently have these conversations. I was very um, disturbed to read that just this week um, the heads of 34 Anglican schools in New South Wales have written to federal MPs urging them to um, protect exemptions in the Sex Discrimination Act um, that allows them to sack queer teachers. And I think... You know, even the introduction of a new religious discrimination act um, to protect gay students won't protect um, won't protect these students in yeah. these schools um, if these are the views that are held by the school. Mm. So this has already been implemented, or it's in the works. It's in the works. Yeah. The yeah, the letters just recently come out, and I think even in you know state a state school in victoria for those young people who do have hold discriminatory views to hear of this stuff going on and they do hear about this stuff going on and they're all yeah. very aware of scott morrison's comments about gender whisperers and whatnot that it really does you know enable their discriminatory views you know like i am very worried about these young people because they're still i think experiencing trauma from the marriage equality mm. um debate and now this you know on top of that it's a lot it's a lot for these young people to have to deal with and even if their school explicitly supports them even if leadership at their school says that they're okay and that Mm. they're supported at that school if the prime minister is saying that he doesn't support them it undermines all the good work that's well not all of it but you know you know a lot of the good work in terms of the mental health of these young people. I still feel positive because I spend time with these incredibly resilient, and it's such a shame that they have to be, of course, so resilient, but these incredibly resilient, thoughtful, compassionate young people. But these are dark. This is really difficult stuff. So I guess um, leading up to the election, I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more things coming out. What would you say to other teachers out there who are listening to support LGBTIQ young people during this time? I think they need to educate themselves, jump online, have a look at all the resources they can, check out Minus 18's many excellent resources, become informed so that when they do um, encounter bullying in the yard, they know what to say about it. They know how to have conversations with their principal and leadership team. Women on the Line. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Mel Gaylord, secondary school teacher, chat with us about creating safer schools for LGBTIQ plus young people. I'm Tan Hung Pham, and you're listening to Women on the Line. Up next, we hear from Pauline Neal, founder of Live for Life, a health promotion organisation addressing youth suicide in rural and regional Victoria. Well, my name is Pauline Neal. I'm the co-founder of Live for Life. It is a suicide prevention and mental health promotion model aimed at young people living in rural and regional Victoria. The, um, I guess the beginning of Live for Life came about after we had a weekend in the Macedon Ranges where we lost two young men to suicide and we needed to shift a conversation and we also needed to change the way that we worked. So we developed this model, which is really around a school and community partnership, where Live for Life goes into a school in the year eight year 
so 14-year-olds, to inject some basic fundamental mental health education um, to try and help them become more literate around mental health and also understand some of the easier sort of developing signs and symptoms of a mental health problem, um, not to be flippant, but you know, very similar to understanding what the early signs and symptoms are of a, you know, a cold or a flu. You know, when you understand when you're starting to become unwell, to to then be able to put something in place to improve your health. So we're really putting it, pitching it in that term. Um, if you understand your physical health, we need to understand mental health as well and pay it the same respect. Mm. So we go into year eight and, and, and do some education sessions. We also at the same time provide youth mental health first aid training to parents and teachers of year eight students and then we step it out to the broader community, so your footy club, CFA, um, just general population of the community to come and step up and do the 14-hour youth mental health first aid course. So we have no trouble filling that despite it being 14 hours, but what happens is we're arming young people with the information it's really important that we arm the people around them because what we're asking 14-year-olds to do is to put your hand up if you're not okay. And if we've got trained adults around those young people, then they're in a much better position to get that support that they require. Wonderful. So um, um, be- before we get more into the model, um, would you be able to just outline some of the, the major um, uh, mental health issues that you've I guess your organisation has recognised in rural and regional Victoria specifically um, the areas that you work in? Some of the areas of mental ill health that we have become aware of, we started this in 2010 and at the time we were researching this and trying to work out what it is that we needed to do, we spent a lot of time sitting with agencies and supports to young people across rural and regional Victoria And the information they gave us really mirrored what we were seeing on the ground as well. And that was that young people in rural Victoria were feeling a greater sense of isolation and disconnect, that supports uh, available to young people in rural and regional Victoria are sparse compared to those in Metro Melbourne, that we also uncovered that... Uh, for us in the Macedon Ranges, back in the early 90s, we had a, a cluster of suicides and that the anecdotal information suggested that some of the young people who took their life were questioning sexuality and gender. So mm-hmm. we know, and, and it's you know the evidence is there, that the LGBTIQ plus communities do have higher rates of distress and as a result, anxiety, depression, substance misuse, and of course, suicide. So that was that was certainly a, a critical factor for us. Anxiety amongst young people, I think, generally is on the rise. And we also understand that the suicide rates among rural communities are higher than that of metro communities. So those sorts of issues were playing out as well as um, every now and then you would have a peak in young people engaged in non-suicidal self-injury or as people would know it as self-harm. And that is an indication of higher levels of distress. 
playing out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so they're, they're the issues that we saw on the ground where we were working. They were also the issues that were being um, tabled by other community supports in place for young people. And so uh, this comes back to the the approach that you take in um, in the communities that you work in. It sounds very much like a whole community approach, like you have your teachers, you have youth workers, you have students. Can you tell us a bit more about this model and um, I guess uh, the impact of it and how you've seen it has worked? Absolutely. Look, the, the, the main thing to say about the model is that it's not just mental health education in schools. Whilst that's important, that whole of community approach is critical, particularly in rural and regional areas where that direct in-person support is severely limited on the ground. So the other work that Live for Life does, apart from the Year 8 education and the youth mental health first aid training, is we go back into Year 11s and we do a top-up and that is the teen mental health first aid. And they're three one-and-a-quarter-hour sessions over about two weeks where we, we table a developing mental health problem, what they are, how to identify it, what to do about it, how to assist a friend. But we also go in and talk about crises, what a mental health crisis is, and we do talk about suicide. And it's done in a really beautiful, nurturing way, in, in a really safe context, So that young people are in no doubt that if they are concerned about a friend, it could be a family, it could be a colleague, um, that these are the steps we're asking them to do. And we're also, at the same time, in youth mental health first aid training, asking the parents, teachers and other adults to do the same. So everyone receives the same information. There are two other critical elements to Live for Life to really embed it into community, and one is the partnership. So we have schools and local government and health services, could be service clubs, sitting around a table supporting this model on a local level. And the other element is the crew. We have this gorgeous um, young person participation element of Year 9 and Year 10 students who really volunteer to become mental health ambassadors and they help run two events for the year eights. We have a launch at the beginning of the year and we have a celebration at the end of the year and they actually um, hold those events. They look at the key messaging around mental health and make sure that those key events that are bringing all the year eights in that local government area together are fun events that are engaging Um, colourful, but with really good, clear messaging that, you know, launch Live for Life for the year eights. And at the end of the year, we reiterate those key messages. There's a competition where winners are announced um, and we we bring them back together and have a celebration for the end of that year eight year. The other thing the crew does is they become ambassadors for mental health. You know, they help us with our social media messaging, Mm. um, you know, if there's an event in town, in their township, they get behind it. So, for example, there's a colour run for a, for a community health service on the weekend in rural Victoria. That Live for Life crew are getting behind that and assisting in the colour run. So what the community see are these gorgeous young people out in the community with their Live for Life uh, tops on, 
where they say they start to identify the brand and they start to understand young people are getting mental health and promoting some really good messages to the broader community about how to better support and understand young people. And in doing so, it's a much healthier community, it's a safer environment and, of course, a much more supportive environment. That's really wonderful to hear, especially... um the collaboration that's happening at all different levels in the community and young people, it seems like they're really the drivers in and looking out for their peers and um, what's happening in terms of their mental health and their peers' mental health. The interesting thing about Live for Life, it started in Masson and Rangers. Um, this is our eighth year. And there had been a lot of demand on Live for Life to help other local government areas establish the same sort of model. So the council released it, basically, and, and set up a separate entity, which is now called Youth Live for Life. And that organisation is a, a charitable not-for-profit organisation that is piloting the Massman Rangers model in the rural city of Benalla and the Glenelg Shire, so down past Warrnambool, down in Portland. And <clears throat> they're in their second year of the Live for Life model being rolled out there, Um and it's just been extraordinary. We had a camp a couple of weeks ago. The Commonwealth Bank funded the, this camp. We brought the three Live for Life crew communities together for the very first time. And those young people, they're 15 and 16 years of age. And the the way in which they connected with each other was fantastic. The way that they approached the mental health messaging um, and looked at what they could do collectively going forward was just extraordinary. Um, us adults have a lot to learn from young people and I think young people get a really bad rap and are branded, you know, uh, disrespectful and entitled and all those derogatory comments that um, that pass on to young people. They're not. You know, they're, they're no more disrespectful or entitled than the main population there are young people out there now that are doing extraordinary things and uh, and I take my head off to them and that's why I'm invested in working with young people. I've been 30 years working with young people and I don't tire of it because of their incredible enthusiasm and capacity to get these issues and actually drive it. You know, we flounder sometimes as adults. You know, we have too many layers to sort of peel back and young people don't. They just go at it. Um, and they're the champions of Live for Life. And, and that crew element of Live for Life, of the model, is probably the most um, critical element for me because young people will ground the education. Anything that we put out into schools is filtered by that crew. And they're going to tell us if the way in which we're doing something sucks or not. So they keep us grounded and honest. And, we, and, you know, we wouldn't have been able to get to where we are now without having young people virtually co-design the model. You just heard from Pauline Neal, founder of Live for Life, a health promotion organisation addressing youth suicide in rural and regional Victoria. Women on the Line is one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. It's produced by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR Melbourne and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. Send us your feedback on today's show via email at womenontheline at gmail.com. Our programs can be downloaded from our website, 
3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for our show is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Thanks for listening to Women on the Line. I'm Tanhan Fenner and tune in again next time.